Let's be turning to our uh, study of prayer in the book of 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 will be our mainstay as we look into this passage, into Paul's life as well, to see what we can learn about prayer. As we are turning to 2 Corinthians 12, let me remind us of some very basic things about prayer. First, there needs to be a connection because prayer, as Jesus teaches us, Matthew 6 and verse 9, He teaches us to pray our Father who art in heaven. There needs to be a connection made. We must become children of God. And we are able to do that. The New Testament clearly teaches that we become a child of God through faith and baptism, Galatians 3, 26 and 27, or in other words, as Jesus mentions it in John 3, through the process of the new birth, uh, born of water and the Spirit, we are made children of God. So we must make a connection in order to be able to pray. And we must communicate to God, as Jesus says in Matthew 7 and um, Verse 7, ask and it will be given unto you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. We've got to communicate uh, to the Lord. And then there's got to be confidence as we pray. As uh, we read in James 1 verse 5, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men in a very generous, liberal way. But um, the instruction there is to... Uh, ask in faith, nothing doubting, for he that doubts is like the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. And that man becomes a double-minded man. He's praying to God, but he doesn't really believe what he's doing. So it's a double-minded man. But here in 2 Corinthians 12, we get into some rather uh, deeper issues about prayer. As we pray, we will have occasions when God will say no. He won't grant us uh, our prayer desire. And as we pray, of course, there will be times of suffering. And so this little passage here in 2 Corinthians uh, 12, 7 through 10, is uh, loaded with different issues that we can talk about in regard to prayer uh, this evening. Now, leading up to verse 7 here in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul has been talking about how he had received uh, visions from God, revelations from God, uh, direct communications with God. He even talks about being caught up into the third heaven, and he talks about kind of a, uh, a strange experience, and he can't really explain it. All he knows is that he received um, messages from God. So let's, let's pick up here and read Second Corinthians uh, 12, beginning in verse number 7. Paul says, so to keep me from being too elated, I think my American Standard Version says overmuch exalted, but to keep me from being too elated by the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me or harass me 
to keep me from being too elated. Uh, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, depart from me. Uh, But He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's notice carefully here from verse 7 onward what we can learn about prayer. And I invite your uh, contribution, your, your thoughts as well as we move through uh, these thoughts together. I want us to notice that learning from Paul here, notice he talks about the exceeding great revelations that he received. The Bible is a great book. It's a great book. And it seems to me we need to learn that part of our prayer life ought to be in thanksgiving for the Word of God. Because God uh, created a process through Jesus, through the apostles, through Paul, through other uh, inspired teachers of those early days, he created a process whereby he revealed his will to them, and then it was recorded. Uh, Many of the speeches were, were recorded, but the history was recorded. The writings of Paul, James, John, Peter, and others uh, were recorded down And so Paul calls it the great revelations here, and it is a great book. The end process is what we have in our hands uh, this evening. When we pray, we ought to thank God for His mind. He has revealed to us His mind uh, in these pages. Where would we be without um, this Word? But this great book doesn't come without great price. These apostles, teachers, they suffered sometimes because of what they were doing for God. Sometimes at the hands of evil men. But here, Paul is given a thorn in the flesh. And it says here, it harassed him. The older versions used the word buffet. It buffeted him. The word comes from the first century word that means uh, a a tight fist. A tight fist. And you know what you do with a tight fist. You you strike a blow with a tight fist. And that's what Paul is saying here. This thorn in the flesh, which we don't know what it is, but whatever it is, it harassed him. It was a tough blow to him. Constantly. It was a continuous, constant blow to his body. It was something that he prayed fervently that it might be taken away. And it was not. Uh, Notice this word is used, if you want to turn your Bible back to Acts 27. Acts chapter 27. This is Paul warning about their travel to Rome here. And they're going to run into a huge sea storm. And notice the description given here. Acts 27, 9 and 10. 
Acts 27, 9 and 10, Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because uh, even the fast was already over, Paul advised them saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with much injury and loss, not only of the cargo, but also of the ship and also of our lives. Now where it says there, much injury and loss, that's the same word used by Paul here in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, when he said, uh, this thorn in the flesh was buffeting me, it was harassing me. Okay. Uh, the ship that they were traveling would be, would be punctured, it would be, it would be harassed, it would be tormented by the winds and, and the waves. And that's how Paul felt with this thorn in the flesh. But it was necessary, evidently, for Paul to receive this thorn in the flesh so that he would not become overly exalted about himself. And so, part of our prayer life then is to be thankful for what these men went through in order to bring us the Word of God. And we remember other occasions, like Acts 5, 41 and 42, where Peter and John were beaten. We know that Paul himself, if you look in this same book, uh, just uh, flip back to 2 Corinthians 11, um, and you look in 23 onward, uh, Paul talks about his imprisonments, his imprisoned times, uh, countless beatings, verse 23, and he was oftentimes near death. Verse 24, five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, save one. Three times I was beaten with rods. One time I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. I was on frequent uh, journeys. I was in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness. Danger at sea, danger from false brothers, toil, hardship, through many sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, often without food, cold, and exposure, and the list goes on. So, notice here, Paul received these great revelations, but it came at a price. And we don't, we don't need to forget that. And I believe it's, it's important to, re, to acknowledge that to God as we pray to Him. as part of our thanksgiving list. And talk to God about the Word of God and how you want to grow in that Word. So that's one thought that comes from 2 Corinthians 12, uh, verse number 7, as you see it there uh, in your Bible. Notice here in, in verse 7 again, he talks about the thorn in the flesh. In the flesh. The flesh brings temptation. And these men receiving the Word of God, one of the things that God didn't want to see happen is for these men to be lifted up with pride. And that's a temptation of the flesh. We know that John relates this to us in 1 John 2.15. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh. 1 John 2.15 and 16, I think it is. <clears throat> the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These are the avenues through which we fall oftentimes. And so Paul said a thorn in the flesh was given him. Also, Paul being in the flesh, think about another temptation that he would be facing here. 
And that would be the temptation to draw back in his ministry because of this physical ailment. Now we know Paul's not going to do that because we know Paul, we read Paul, we, we listen to Paul constantly. But some people, and it would be a temptation to anyone, including Paul, but if you have a thorn in the flesh that is constant, constantly harassing you, would not that be a temptation for you to say or for someone to say or any of us to say, well, certainly the Lord doesn't require much of me because I have all this going on in my life. And we would not be able to grab that attitude from Paul because he would never express that attitude. And I don't think we can get that attitude from the New Testament whatsoever. But it would certainly be a temptation of the flesh that maybe it'd be okay for me to draw back in my ministry because I've got all this going on with my body. I've got this, this torture going on, whatever it is that the Lord had placed on him. Notice here, it says, um, Paul says in verse 7, a thorn in the flesh was given unto me. Does it say that? A thorn was given me in the flesh. And then it says, it was a messenger of Satan. What do you think that means? That this thorn in the flesh was a messenger of Satan. Certainly, Brother Sam was saying, certainly Satan would use this to try to discourage Paul. He would use this to try to to, as we were just saying, to reduce the efforts of Paul in the ministry. Any other thoughts about this being the messenger of Satan? Certainly part of our prayer life as we are grasping and we're trying to glean these lessons, part of our prayer life is to be thankful for the word of God, but also to pray to God that he would give us the strength to give our all in ministering to him, give our all in serving to him. And when we feel a temptation of the flesh to draw back in whatsoever way, that he would help us to overcome that. Then he comes to this phrase, messenger of Satan. Maybe he says that because he knows God won't teach you that way. Yeah. Maybe it's said because Temptations come from Satan, and God does not tempt man. Um, like James 1.13 says, God does not tempt man. Okay, Larry. Can the cross-reference to Job 2.7, So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with a painful mold from the soul of his foot to the crown of his head. Okay. Okay, that's, that's interesting. Larry's bringing up a parallel to Job here, and, and many commentators do make that parallel. He's referring to Job 2, verse 7, where Satan struck the body of Job with sores from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, certainly trying to get Job to give up his faith. Is this, then, something similar? And I don't know that I'd just make that parallel right away, but it's interesting to think about how Paul has these thorn in the flesh and Job was struck as well. My Bible has a reference. It um, says that this verse pinpoints one explanation for the existence of 
references uh, 1 Peter 5, 8. So uh, Christie's note there is saying that the ultimately the all-suffering is at the feet of Satan. And I believe that's pretty good. Uh, in 1 Peter 5 verse 8, of course, is a warning about Satan's work. Be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary the devil is walking about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But also remember that Jesus says in John 8, 44, about Satan. What does it say? That he is a liar. How does that go? He's a liar. Does it say, is that the one that says he's a murderer? Murderer. Yeah, I see. 44. John 8, 44. You are of your father, the devil, Jesus says to the Jews. Your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there's no truth. In him, when he lies, he speaks of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of of lies. So, ultimately, the fault of all thorns in the flesh lies at the feet of Satan. Okay. Uh, all problems in the flesh are traceable back to the work of Satan. Okay. Uh, notice in your Bibles uh, Acts ten for just a second. Acts 10, about the work of Jesus. Look at Acts 10 and 38. Peter preaching how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. The healing... Jesus did was wonderful, but they have been oppressed by the devil. And there's another reference, I think. Um, if you want to look it up, Luke 13, 16, about a lady that Jesus heals. And she it says there she's bound by Satan, or something of that phraseology. Is that what it says? Read, read that. And is she is she one that was possessed by a demon or possessed by a spirit? Okay, so that is um, notice how that she's described as being bound by Satan. So as we pray, then we need to pray to God in reference to staying away from Satan, uh, realizing that as we pray to God about even our problems in the flesh, that it is not God's. If the blame is not God, the blame is Satan. And we need to talk in an intelligent way to God and um, not blame Him, but ask for His help, ask for His strength to be able to handle whatever uh, thorn or whatever uh, problem, whatever torture that we find ourselves in if we're going to learn from Paul here about prayer. Now, Sam is saying that the good thing about Paul here is he doesn't really ask why. Now, he does 
He does beseech the Lord to get rid of it. Now, is there anything wrong with doing that? I guess the problem with us is Paul did it three times. And um, how long do we go at it before we realize that maybe God is, is um, saying no to us on, on something? <laughs> so, so not only after we went out and want to quit sometimes, but then we start having a pity party because we didn't get our way. Yeah. Paul didn't have a pity party, he got up and went to work. Okay. When I had a conversation with somebody, I'm like, why is this me? Why do I have this? Why do I have this temptation? You're going to have a temptation of some sort. Right. You can pray, you can be strong about it, but everybody's got something that can get by. You can't think, well, I'm the only one in the world. Right. Right, you can't, you can't have pity on yourself. You've got to realize we all have our difficulties. And I can't think, well, Bert has temptation better than mine. I don't want hers. You just got to pray for strength. It's your own. It's where I'll take it something different. We are all tempted differently, and with different things come different weaknesses. We, have to, we can't be comparing our, our problems with somebody else. And that's an interesting study of itself is to think about people who, uh, who were, God said no to. And that would be an example there. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, let this cup pass from me if it be your will, but that was a no. That was a no. Uh, can you think of another one? Good thought talking about the Lord Jesus here. Let's let's notice Hebrews five. See if this is uh, Hebrews five and um, verse seven. Hebrews five seven. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. And although he was a son, yet learned he obedience to the things which he suffered. Okay. That's good. So just because you know doesn't mean you're heard. Yeah. I know is an answer because he's heard. The Lord hears prayer. But oftentimes he says no. And I don't really have trouble saying often. He does say yes. He, he wants to grant desires to us. He certainly blesses us beyond measure. But it's not surprising that he would say no some because of the tremendous gap between us and God. He is high and holy. We are struggling in our uh, flesh. And so we're, we're not going to be on the same, same page as, as Paul here. Paul wanted this gone. God said this is not my, it's not my will for this to be Certainly as we think about prayer here from 2 Corinthians 12, it is teaching us 
that one of the purposes of prayer is to come and get rid of ourself. That's one of the purposes is to, to empty all of our self-sufficiency, make sure that's all emptied out in our prayer. It's one of the great purposes of prayer. And Paul refers to this again and again. He talks about being weak. And when I'm weak, then I'm strong. When I'm weak, the power of Christ rests upon me. He felt like it was necessary for him to have this thorn in the flesh and to keep on serving the Lord because that would keep him empty of himself. It's one of the great, great purposes of prayer. I believe the problems in prayer is that we don't understand the purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer is not to get things from God. Not to get more good things from God not to get more good things from this earth, but to be good. We, we need to walk away from God becoming, walk away from prayer time, having become more like God, having become better for being there in prayer and meditation. So Paul is learning again the danger of self-sufficiency. And we have to come like Jesus, not my will, Lord, but yours, and like Paul here, learning, and he's opening up himself uh, to the Corinthians here and to us to, uh, to show this, this experience he has with the Lord. I want to see here from uh, verse number 9, back to Second Corinthians uh, 12. Paul said, I besought the Lord three times that this would depart from me. I want us to understand here that Paul speaks to the Lord as a real person. I spoke to the Lord and he said, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly. You should understand that Paul speaks to the Lord as a real person. He has pronouns. He has he speaks to him as God, as Lord, as Master. You know, he's our he's our Father. Um, if if we're not careful, we end up just talking to ourselves in prayer instead of talking to the Lord. To the Lord, we must believe. We must walk by faith, not by sight. We must believe that the Lord is there. He's as real as any person that has ever been thought of being real. But just because there's not a sight of him doesn't mean he's not very, very real. We must speak to him as a real person. Of course, as a person who is much higher and who deserves much reverence from us, but as a real person. Okay. Uh, if we get in the habit of saying the same thing to him all the time, then it's almost like we're talking to ourselves and not to him, that we're reciting a poem to him. And then we walk away having felt better, feel better about it. Okay. Purpose of prayer is not to feel better. The okay. purpose of prayer, again, is to be better, is to become more like God. You know, the habit of, I would say, some, is to say uh, short prayers to God and almost the same prayers to God and then to get on the phone 
and have long conversations with people. And really that ought to be reversed. The long conversations need to come to God and talk to Him about everything. Let out your entire heart to Him and learn, as we were talking last week, we learn to distinguish between those things we really ought to be focused on and those things that end up being more or less trivial and not eternal. Matthew 26, 44. We prayed earnestly. Do what? We prayed three times. Jesus in, in the garden. So when, when God says to Paul here, my grace is sufficient, what do you think he's saying? He doesn't, that uh, God doesn't have to fix everything in order for us to do His will. I'm not going to remove this thorn from your flesh, Paul, but I'm going to give you grace to do what? To bear it. Okay. Um, Grace not just to bear this thorn, but perhaps even be able to, with God's strength, God's help, to use this thorn as a means of greater service to him. I don't know what this thorn is, but I do know Paul. Paul prayed one day that he would get to go to Rome. That was his desire. He went to Rome, but not in the way he wanted to go. He went as a prisoner. He did get to go to Rome and and spread the gospel, but again, not in the not in the way he would envision wanting to do that. But so perhaps like that, then this thorn in the flesh would be able to be used to reach people that perhaps Paul would not have been able to reach if the thorn is not there. What do you think about that? Is that possible? I have seen uh, folks here lose their children, and that's the worst. That's the last thing we would ever want to see happen. We don't want that to happen. We would pray that would never happen. But I have seen remarkable ministry from people who have lost their children and able to and enabling them to be to be greater servants uh, to people who have similar experiences. And um, so oftentimes God can not only help us bear a thorn, but also turn that thorn around to, uh, toward glory for him. And, uh, those things are not easy to talk about. But he says here, uh, my grace is sufficient for you. When I think of the word grace, what do you think of when you think of the word grace?
What do you think when you think about the word grace? Grace of God. What do you think? We're talking about the grace of God here. My. And it's the same meaning here. So, undeserved kindness from God. Paul, the undeserved kindness that you're getting right now is sufficient for you without the removal of this thorn. And so... Paul even said there that he was able to do a lot of miraculous things. So it's much more than we can think of. We, we might be able to do, but he was even saying, you know, maybe Keeping you grounded, keeping us humble. I think that's a big part of Paul's teaching here about prayer is that this, these thorns, and we don't, and one thing here, we have to be careful to make ourselves exactly parallel with Paul here because oftentimes we can't be there. We, remember, what verse is it? Um, he says here, uh, all of this was happening to him for Christ's sake. Yeah, verse uh, 10. Yeah. Yeah, for the sake of Christ, I am undergoing these things. Okay. So it's not just, Paul's not talking about just common ailments that come up. Even though I think we can use principles from the scriptures to, to deal with common ailments. But Paul's talking about real suffering in behalf of Christ. And God is telling him, I'm going to keep this thorn on you and everything else that you have is undeserved kindness, undeserved favor from me. In other words, it's sort of like saying uh, don't concentrate on what you have lost. Concentrate on what you have left. I heard about a man from World War II um, if his name would come to me. But he, he became a famous uh, actor. But he was in World War II. It could be. This man lost both his hands. And it's, it's, one of his names was Russell, either first name Russell or last name Russell. But uh, he lost both his hands. And he, would, he went on, even after that, to become very famous, uh, both writer and actor. And he would often say, uh, it's not what you have lost that counts, it's what is left that counts. So he focused on what was left. Perhaps Paul is saying something like that to us here, or God is saying to Paul, he said, I have, you have all this grace surrounding you, even if you keep the thorn. The thorn stays with you. you still got a lot of kindness. And most of us, as we go to prayer, can say the same thing, Right? Even, even if we go to God and earnestly and say, please take this out of my life, take this away from me, even if God doesn't take it away, we can still look around and, be, and have a heart of gratitude and see how gracious, graceful, kind God has been to us. And then to remember in prayer that this is undeserved. This, is, this has been initiated by God. He has brought all of us here and whatever blessings we have, he has brought those to us. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength, my power is made perfect 
in weakness. What do you think perfect means here? My strength is made perfect in weakness. Sister Kay is saying that the thorn magnified God's power by making Paul weak. And we must, whether it be by a physical ailment or through our own focus and meditation and humility, we must continually consider ourselves weak because it's the way we are and magnify God's greatness in whatever way we can. But when I am weak, then I am strong, Paul learns. And, he, and God says to him, my power is made perfect through your weakness. So God talks about his grace and his power, his grace and his strength. And we're very interested in both of those. How do we, how do we come to know those? Okay. By humility. Constant concentration, concentration, constant uh, dedication, constantly seeing the greatness of God versus our own weakness. We remember Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, for those of the kingdom of God. This is the idea, to be poor in spirit, to drain out all that self sufficiency. Um, you remember Jesus telling about the, um, the Pharisee and publican going to the temple to pray and the contrast of their two prayers and the publican way off in the corner uh, wouldn't hardly lift up his eyes to look to heaven but smote upon his own chest and said Lord be merciful to me uh, the sinner. Be merciful to me the sinner. So we, we, it is that sin that creates that. That, um, that weakness before God. One of the other temptations we mentioned to, we mentioned the temptation of pride for Paul. He thinks, he believes that this is why that thorn was not taken away. Temptation to draw back in his ministry. Another temptation in the flesh is bitterness. Bitterness. Like Christy was saying a moment ago, when we start contrasting our, life, our lives with other people's lives, and they don't have this thorn, I've got this thorn, then it's easy to begin a path of bitterness. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 4 to let all bitterness be put away. We have to be careful about being bitter in prayer. 
And we've got to talk to God about it. Oftentimes we talk to God and we skip that part where we're kind of angry about it. We're angry at God about this part, so I'm going to skip this. I'm not going to talk to God about it. We've got to talk to God about it. Where does bitterness come from? Hmm? The devil. The devil uses that. What about within us? Where does bitterness come from within us? Okay, comes from the heart. Pride. It goes back to that very uh, essence of Paul here and Jesus. When we pray, what are we really praying for? Are we praying for ourselves or are we praying for God's will? Didn't Jesus teach us there early on, Matthew 6, about heaven's will being done? What does that say? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Sometimes, sometimes we may pray for our will to be done in heaven. I want my will to be done, Lord. And our, it's the opposite of that. We want to come to God in prayer focused on His will, not ours. His will be done on earth through me, through us. And that keeps bitterness away because otherwise, if we become selfish, then we want our way with God. We want God to, I, want my, I want this to go my way. I, we almost come to, de, to demand from God. Lord, I want this to go my way. If it doesn't go my way, then I'm, I'm through with you. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not as with you as I once was. We become, we can build up some bitterness. We have to let it go. We have to come clean before God. Come total, uh, in totally in submission, and uh, a lack of self-sufficiency. Best way I can say it. Come in, girls. Thank you so very much uh, for these comments about prayer and thinking about this. Paul is dealing with some things all of us deal with in prayer. Uh, God is going to sometimes say no to our prayer, no to our desires in prayer. Sometimes we're going to be praying in the midst of suffering. We must learn from that as well. Well, Paul, at the end here, he's able to rejoice, uh, to take pleasure in his persecutions, in his weaknesses, in his trials, in his afflictions, because he understands now that when he is weak, then he is strong. It's an amazing thought. And we're not even close to discovering everything that is contained here in 2 Corinthians 12. But, um, but Paul certainly a good pattern, a good example for us uh, to consider. All right. Who's going to lead our song? Let's see. 452. 452. Be our song of encouragement.